Let's pray as we begin. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift tonight already of the testimonies and devotionals and songs that have pointed to you. And thank you that we can commemorate what you did. But help us to more than commemorate it tonight. Help us to take it to our hearts. And as has been shared already, to to know what you have done. Not just know about it, but to know you. Do your work, God. In your name I pray. Amen. The texts that we're going to use tonight are right in your bulletin um, as we do the seven words of Christ. Um, Justin so wonderfully on Wednesday night took us down the Via Dolorosa and led us up to the cross. And we've been going all the way with Jesus um, this Lenten season. And tonight we come to being on the cross. And uh, we're going to take a look at each of those different things that Jesus said or what is recorded for us that he said upon the cross. That in itself could have been the whole um, Lenten season. We could have taken each one of those and gone along. So tonight we'll we'll take a look at those words again. And I was reminded as listening to, to Kyle sharing and listening to Wayne sharing and, and Katie singing, I was reminded of what I wrote in the newsletter this last this last month was the the challenge that was laid out by the London Times years ago. They uh, sent this to a number of different uh, philosophers and people that could answer the question. If you've read it, the question was, what's wrong with the world? And they were each supposed to write a nice long thing on that or to give their thoughts about that. And G.K. Chesterton, um, Christian humorist, a philosopher, um, wrote back, to the London Times, and this was his letter. He said, Dear London Times, I am sincerely J.K. Chesterton. (laughs) And that's what's wrong with the world. Kyle, you nailed it. I am. But we have the wonderful gospel, and we have what Christ has done. And we're going to see that again this evening in the seven words that Jesus shares from the cross. We're first of all going to see that through this all, He will lead us into the life that He wants us to live by what He said. We're going to see that He'll lead us into the faith that He wants us to possess, to know Him. And we're also going to see, even on the cross, how He leads us into the triumph that he wants us to experience in him alone. Let's start with the fact that he leads us into the life he wants us to live. First of all, remember some of the events that occur right at the cross. As he's gone up the Via Dolorosa, as he's come to the cross, the soldiers want to give him a mixture of this wine and myrrh, this gall, this vinegar wine, They want to offer it to Jesus, perhaps as an anesthetic to kind of dull the pain as they pound the nails in. We don't know. But we see that initially Jesus refuses it. He wants, in a sense, we believe he wants to be in his right mind. 
we also see that at the cross his garment is gambled for. <laughs> this single garment that will somehow, the seamless robe will go to the lucky winner. And now, after the nails have been pounded and that he has been lifted up, and you can imagine that he has to push himself up to breathe in the pain that would be there. When we hear the words of Jesus on the cross, they would have been forced out somehow. And the first set of words that we have from the gospel writers, from this word that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, are those words in Luke 23:34. And Jesus says, "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing." You catch that his first thought here is not for himself, but for others, for his executioners, his jeering mob, the scoffing high priests. His thought was for their and our greatest need, forgiveness. He was dying to win that forgiveness for the souls of all people, even those who nailed him to the cross. And he shows forth that primary characteristic of a cross-centered, of a Christ-centered life, a willingness to forgive one's persecutors and pray for them. This is a characteristic of discipleship. It's emphasized again and again in Scripture to forgive. We see it in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5.11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. It comes out in these first recorded words, on the cross, it comes out in the response of the early Christians to the persecutions that they would go through. It comes out in Stephen's prayer as the first martyr that we have recorded in Acts 7, verse 60. There it says that when Stephen fell on his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep or he died <laughs> it comes out in Romans 12 verse 20 on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him <laughs> if he's thirsty give him something to drink and in doing this you'll heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good <laughs> Jesus leads us to a forgiving spirit which can hold no grudges. It can nurse no prejudices. It, can, it can't coddle any of those animosities that we have. It's unlike the two deacons, the story of the two deacons who could not get along. They could not reconcile until one of them lay dying. And as the story goes, only then were they willing to bury their enmity for one another, yet not without reservations, because when the, when the one deacon was leaving, the sick man called out to his former enemy as he left the room. He said, but if I live, the grudge still holds. 
such an attitude in whatever form it appears destroys not only the life of a Christian, it removes the forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer is pretty clear too, isn't it? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. To go with Jesus all the way means for His sake we live without hatred. We live without that bitterness toward even the cruelest of our enemies. Rather, we pray for them and for their forgiveness. And the second word of Jesus that we have recorded in Luke 23, verse 43, are those wonderful words to the thief. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, today you shall be with me in paradise. Now remember here, the crowd has begun to taunt Jesus, to taunt the figures up on the cross. And as they witness these most gruesome of sights, they wag their heads, they mock them, they hurl the insults. We read about it in Matthew's Gospel. They would yell out at Jesus, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. There's a spirit of derision that catches on and the soldiers and the thieves join in. But the one thief, we read in Luke 23 there, verses 40 through 42, prior to Jesus' words, it says that the one thief says to the other thief, Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, and you can imagine, he has to push up as well. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Have you ever wondered how much this man would have known about Jesus prior to this point? Was this their first meeting? We don't know. But it very well could have been. Yet he saw enough. And he heard Jesus' first words. That he would pray that simple prayer. Remember me, Jesus. And Jesus says those wonderful words today. You will be with me. This is the first time that Jesus mentions himself. But he says with him. This same Jesus who ate with tax collectors and sinners. This same Jesus wants sinners to know that forgiveness and to be with him. Because he loves them. Jesus loved both thieves. But the love of Jesus found its way only into the heart of that one. And love can find a way. The love of Christ. If you ever get a chance, last night we just watched the movie, we have Pure Flicks and we watch the, the Case for Christ. It's the story of Lee Strobel. I would encourage you sometime to watch it. 
as he struggles through the whole thing. He's trying to figure out what his wife believes, and he tries to get the facts. But he finally comes to that point of seeing what it is to have true faith and to know the love of God. Their time together was short, Jesus and this thief, but Jesus gave that gospel promise, you will be with me. And his promise is what we can hold on to, can't we? See, this is another characteristic of that cross-centered life. You see, Jesus had a passion for the souls of others. It was his whole purpose. A desire to see others with him. To have that relationship with God. In Romans chapter 9, we read those words of Paul. And Paul's desire to see those around him know Jesus Christ. He says in Romans 9, I am speaking the truth Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself would be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. The concern for their salvation, the desire that they would be saved. And look at the third words of Christ on the cross. And by the way, if we go through all this, you can see where Jesus' focus is. It's always on others. Others. <laughs> on people. In John 19, verses 26 and 27, we do see where Jesus says, because John himself lovingly accompanies Jesus' mother Mary to the cross. And the other women are there as well. But Jesus says, dear woman, he says to his mom, here is your son. And to John, he says, John, here is your mother. And he comforted his mom. Even as old Simeon's prophecy is coming true. You remember when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. And Simeon said these words. He said a whole bunch of wonderful things. And he said to Mary, he said, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. And Jesus, as he looked down upon his mother with that tender love of a perfect son, commended her to the care of John, who is sometimes described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This care and concern for his mother reveals that other thing that needs to be there, that he wants for us as people of the cross, to live, that we would be filled with care and concern for our own even. And it means physical care. I mean, physical care is a part of things. Think of all those elderly who are cared for by family or by those angelic people who work in assisted care and care facilities and nursing homes or hospitals. It's a mark of, of true Christian discipleship to be vitally concerned with the physical well-being of one's own. But it also means spiritual care. 
as we've talked about already, concern for the salvation of others. And many of us carry that heaviest of burdens for those that are of our own blood that we want to know Jesus Christ or to come back to Him. And it's from the cross, may we as grandpas and grandmas and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and sons and daughters, may we be concerned and pray, pray, pray for those who don't love the crucified one who died for them. So by these first three sets of words that Jesus shares from the cross, He's led us into that loving concern. It showed forth that love for others. And this is a radical thing today in our world. It was a radical thing back then. These caring words for others strikes deep into our lives. And it cuts across the current of our natural inclinations. By nature, we are more likely, at least secretly, to hate our adversaries, ignore the welfare of others, and be selfish in our basic concerns. But when we go all the way with Jesus Christ on the cross, we find not only a cross on the hill, but a cross that rises in our very own hearts, whereon we must be crucified to ourselves. To our unkindness, to our proud desires of the flesh, to our sin. The flesh is the I in our pride. And we should say and do with Paul, as Paul writes, he writes it in Romans, but he writes this there in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 as well. I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross must conquer me before it can create in me the new heart which will live the life that Christ wants me to live. And you see these next three sets of words on the cross. Jesus leads us into that faith that he wants us to possess. Now, in reality, these first three sets of words have their roots in what happens next. Because this is the culmination. This is why Jesus came. What we see happening in these next three sets of words brings us to the point of where Jesus does what He came to do. Faith. In Him is that connection. Without faith, there can't be that fruit. We need to be grafted into Him. There's no life that is pleasing to God that has not first been covered with the forgiveness that Jesus brings about. With the substitutionary death. With the atonement for our sins. And this belief doesn't come by imitating what He did. But it comes by seeing it and accepting what He did for us on the cross. And that's where these next three sets of words lead us. They lead us right next to what He did for us. 
This next set is both in Matthew and Mark. There you see, and it's it's the Aramaic words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's high noon, and darkness has come over the earth. The sun had hidden its face. The climax of Christ's sufferings had come. The Father had forsaken Him. This is so important to grasp, to understand. Otherwise, we miss the true faith that Jesus wants us to possess. Here we see the nature of sin. Complete and utter separation of the soul from God. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus was made to be sin for us. And in Galatians 3.13, He was made a curse for us. For cursed is though the one who dies on a tree. As such, Jesus was cut off from God. Don't have me try and explain how all this works. It, it blows your mind with regards to things. But He had to take this for us. He had to... Because as the Word reveals, the nature of God is so perfect and so holy and so righteous that He cannot even behold evil. He entirely rejects sin. And when He, Jesus, cried out these words, He experienced the very condition separation from God. In that sense, he experienced hell. So in this, we see the very character of redemption. Jesus accomplished for us. He paid the price. He was the perfect atoning sacrifice. This was not a mere demonstration or a a dramatic gesture to parade the love of God before men. No, it is redemption in its full, effective truth. And on the cross, the wrath of God upon all sin was clearly seen. I love the quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says, God's wrath was not just withdrawn, it was spent. And then the words of the old hymn he uses there, full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. That sin that he took, that sin was mine. That wrath was directed at me and you. But glorious news, Jesus Christ took. Our sins upon His body on the tree. 1 Peter 2.24 He became my sin. He bore my curse. I'm not trying to sell movies or anything to you, but there's an interesting movie if you ever want to watch called The Last Sin Eater. It's based on a book by Francine River. It's based on an old 
way that Welsh people would do things. They would have somebody in their clan who would become the sin eater. And when they would, when they would bury people, he would come, he would live by himself and he would come and they would put food on it would be a symbolized thing that he would take their sin before they buried the body. They missed out on who the real sin eater is and was. Jesus Christ. My kids always laugh at me in movies because I did it last night again. I stand up and start clapping when the person comes to Christ. And in this movie, the young girl, I don't want to ruin it for you. But to know that truth for that first time. We should never lessen this truth. We should never water it down. Jesus was forsaken, and it's clear here. It brings out the wonderful character of our salvation. It is bought, it is brought to the forefront only as we see the awfulness of our sin. And we see the awful cost that our Savior paid. You know, we, we seek the cure for cancer, don't we, Wayne? We seek it. And there's all sorts of things, and it can go into remission. It can do the different things. And there's not a person here, I'm guessing, that in your family has not been touched, perhaps, somehow by it. But there is a cure for the cancer for our souls, for our sin. See, the problem with sin is that it condemns for all eternity and separates us from God. But Jesus, in a sense, said here, he said, put it all on me. No wonder that the theme song of heaven that we read about in Revelation is worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, to receive riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The fifth word from the cross here in John 19.28 is these simple words where Jesus says, I am thirsty or I thirst. If you read that whole verse there in John 19.28, John writes later, knowing that all was completed and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. People have sought for the Scripture of the prophecy that leads to this. But let me tell you, it's the fulfillment when he says, I am thirsty because he needs that water. He is experiencing from that physical sense and from that mental sense and that spiritual sense. He is exhausted in all those ways. But I think here too that he says I'm thirsty because he has one last thing, some last things to say to finish this out and to fulfill Scripture. The words are simple here and he wants to fulfill And that sixth word that he says in John 19, verse 30, it says that when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, which we'll read about in a bit that is recorded in what he says there. He knew that the serpent's head had been crushed And mankind had been redeemed. He knew that the ransom had been paid. That the reconciliation 
was complete. It is finished. The last enemy to be defeated would happen in a few days. But he said, it is finished. And we've used that big word before. I think a fly convention years ago, tetelestai. It's the big Greek word for it is finished. I'm not going to give you a lesson in Greek, and I don't promise to be able to do that, but in Greek there's this perfect tense. And in the perfect tense, it's a little different than our English perfect tense. When that perfect tense, when it's used, it has the lasting effects that keep on going on and on and on. And that word, it is finished, is still having the effects today. It is finished. We read about it in in things that way. With religion, everything is do, 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 right? You've got to be good enough. You've got to do enough for this. You've got to be good enough. But true Christianity is all about what Christ has done. That's the gospel. We cannot produce salvation. But we can proclaim it because it is finished. We can receive it with that childlike faith that we can't even work up in ourselves with our own reason or strength because it's a gift. These are the words that lead us and show us and lead us to faith. And that leads us to the last set of words that we have recorded. That third characteristic here, He leads us to the victory that He wants us to know and to enjoy. And in Luke 23, 46, you might read this at first and wonder, where's the victory? But here it is. Jesus called out with that loud voice. It says in Luke 23, 46, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. When He said this, He breathed His last. The word here is surrender. Here is the triumphant end that comes to a life lived by faith in the Spirit. Cross of Jesus Christ. The triumph of the cross for us is this, that because of what Christ did there, we do not have to surrender ourselves to death, although we will die. But instead, we surrender ourselves to God And we place ourselves in His hands. It's more than a victorious conclusion at the end of living. Because now we can live in the shadow of the cross. Jesus Christ. It's the very secret to living life here and now. I know it's Good Friday. But you see, we can't just end at the cross, can we? I know there will be tenebrae services tonight. There will be Good Friday services in the land and they will walk out solemnly, which is great and it's good to contemplate. But we don't end there, do we? The cross shows us the truth. You're right back there. We don't end there. Because we know the resurrection is coming. 
What is needed for us is surrender. To let Him be God. To let Him be the Lord. To believe what He has done. Kyle, thanks for reading those words. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift from God. Wayne, that's the words that I heard at camp too. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. The old songs, they all say it, don't they? There's room at the cross for you and for me. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. And as we even sing this last song, the old rugged cross, I pray that that is where you can live each day. Knowing what Christ has done for you. And if tonight you don't or haven't known Him, and that Spirit of God is calling to you, Don't don't wait. Answer that call. Spirit calls through His Word. Come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Me, says the Lord. And you can use those words of the old hymn. I surrender all. We haven't quite finished going all the way with Jesus yet. We still have a couple days from today. But my friend, let Him be your Savior. Let go of yourself. And say, Lord, help me. And know that good news. As you pant, Ponder and contemplate as you look at the cross and you look at the sun going down this evening. Cry unto the one who gives life and is the way and the truth. Let's pray. Lord, I know you hear our prayers right now. And thank you. You are our Savior. You offer life. Not a life of ease here on earth, but a a gift of eternal life. A gift of a life of forgiveness free from sin. A freedom to serve you. Lord, I know we're going to, I know I'm going to sin. And there's going to be those things as I struggle, that old nature that's still there. But I also know that you say, if, if, if I have you, Jesus, I have life. Do your work, God, in each heart here. Holy Spirit, call to each of us on this Good Friday of 2023. Thank you. 
Thank you, Jesus, I pray.